The song has long been um, a powerful and beautiful reminder of the God that we serve, the God that we have a relationship with. And in times when life seems difficult or life seems challenging or confusing, we are reminded of how great God is. The beginning to the solution to every situation is to be reminded who it is that we serve. It's God. And that's a wonderful reminder, and I'm so glad we got to, to share that with you today. We're giving back to God now. If you're a guest, don't worry about it. This is a reminder to give back to God to say thank you because he's been so good to us. So we're in this series called Hashtag Blessing, or Blessed, rather. And uh, we realized, uh, if you weren't here last week, we realized that uh, a lot of people are uh, doing kind of a humble brag about themselves, uh, showing their new boat, their new car, uh, their new body, and saying, hashtag blessed. And it's not about God at all. It's about uh, making others envious. And so we thought maybe we should look at what it really means to be blessed and what hashtag blessed really should mean, could mean uh, for us, to us, and, and from us to others. And so uh, I want to talk about that for a few weeks uh, leading up to Thanksgiving, where we talk about how blessed we are and we are truly grateful. And so I want to make sure we hit Thanksgiving truly grateful for the right things. And so uh, there are all kinds of blessings. Uh, you got a new house. Yes, that's a blessing from God. That's great. Um, you, you got a, mo- a boat that may or may not be a blessing. I don't know. Um, but uh, you, there are all kinds of blessings. But the reality is, is that there are some blessings that are greater than other blessings. There are some ultimate kinds of blessings. And if we kind of buy into the culture in which we live that suggests that blessings, and there's even a theology that's become popular in the last 30 years or so, where if I'm a Christian, I believe in God, he's going to give me stuff, okay? If I just if I just believe it, God will give me a new car, give me a new whatever it is. Now, I actually believe that when you become a Christian, you generally, more often than not, get more prosperous than, than you were before. It may be because you're spending less uh, money on alcohol, um, on uh, stupid things. Uh, you're getting up earlier and getting to work on time, and you're a better employee. I think it does pay off. But if that's the blessing we're expecting from God, we're missing the point of Scripture. Uh, Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, is not uh, blessed in that sense. He's in prison for most of the writing and has no material goods at all. As a matter of fact, at one point, he probably just needs a blanket. And so, but yet he considers himself, in the passage we're going to look at today, from Ephesians 1, he considers himself so blessed, he's writing kind of almost ecstatically, like, I just am so excited that I, we as Christians are so blessed. And so he must have a different, deeper definition and understanding of blessing than we do. So I was thinking about what does it mean for us to be blessed? And then oftentimes when I'm kind of thinking through and praying about a topic, God coincidentally brings other pieces of information kind of in front of me, you know? And uh, so I was on a road trip this week, and uh, I was listening to the radio, and these two guys came on. They're Christian guys, and they began to tell their story. Older guys, sound like they're probably my age or older. And, uh, and they began to talk about how both of them, one had not really ever had a father involved in his life very much, just tangentially and disappointingly, occasionally. And the other had been abandoned by his dad at, at, a, at a, maybe 10 or 11, I think, if I, if I remember right. And the hole that that left in their lives... 
and uh, and they have started a ministry, which uh, we uh, we're just talking to some of the staff about this this week. We, we they have started a ministry to go out into the community and find fatherless young men and begin to mentor them because there's an input that is needed for young men from a father or a father figure. By the way, this is not news to any of us. We know this, right? We know this. We know this as a society that young men, especially, but both boys and girls, but especially young men, raised without a father, um, well, just look at the prison population. It's not just more than half. It is it is almost everyone in prison comes from a fatherless situation or no relationship with the father. It is a powerful problem in our society. And so they decided, because of their own experience, they weren't just going to talk about it. They were going to start fixing it in their community. And, uh, and it was really interesting because I had I just pulled out a book uh, from, that I'd read 20 years ago from my library just before I heard this, written by John Trent. And it is a book about fathers, uh, parents, but specifically fathers in many cases, blessing their children. And he writes of his own experience being raised without a father. And the hope, the expectation, the striving, the achieving, trying to find the approval that never came because dad never came through. And it was interesting, each of these men, the guys on the radio and John Trent, all became star football players because it seemed to be a manly thing to do and because it could get them some approval. And what they talk about is the wound left, the absence of the father's approval in their life left them seeking for it in all kinds of places and all kinds of ways. And so they realize that there is, there is a spot in, in a child's heart that needs this stamp of approval and they try to get it from coaches. And when they played well, they got it. And when they didn't play well, they didn't always get it. And they seek to put this fatherly stamp of approval on the young men they mentor just by being there and loving them. And I heard that and I realized that that is what all of us need. Maybe you had an earthly father and got a stamp of approval from an earthly father or uh, uh, your parents. And yet it's still not enough, even if you got it. And so many of us grew up in dysfunctional families where we didn't get it at all. And the truth is, many of us, like Jacob that we talked about last week, go throughout life looking for this stamp of approval, cheating our way to try to get it as Jacob did, trying to fight it in true romantic love, which didn't work out as well, or at least the way he planned it to. And finally, when Jacob finds himself wrestling with God, he finally realizes what he wants. And he says, God, I won't let go of you until you bless me. That blessing is a state. I don't know what he said to Jacob. We talked about this last week. I don't know what God said to Jacob, but it was so powerful that something changed inside of Jacob. Not only his name changed from Jacob to Israel, sounds familiar. It changed from a scoundrel who had cheated his own brother into the beginning of this incredible nation that God blessed through history called Israel, named after him. Something so profound happened in that blessing. And if you remember last week, I said, we don't know what God said to Jacob. We do know what God said to Jesus. What he said was, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. What we all hope to hear when we get to heaven is, well done, good and faithful servant. There is on the deepest level, this need to hear from the one who created us. That's why it's so powerful when our parents say this to us. 
But it's even more powerful when God, the one who created us, says, this is my child whom I love, who, with whom I am well pleased, well done. There is this deepest need. And so we settle for inferior blessings, and they're fine. We settle for those when the deepest need is to hear God say, you're exactly who I created you to be. You're doing a great job. I am so proud of you. What a powerful thing. So I want to talk about what it means to receive the blessing, but I also want to point out that we're not just blessed for ourselves. We are blessed in order to be a blessing. We are to receive the blessing and then to share it. In Trent's book that he wrote with, with Smalley, he talks about this idea of receiving God's blessing and then sharing it. And they identify throughout the Old Testament five kinds of ways that are five parts, if you will, to blessing your own children. So if you're a parent of young children, I advise you to get the book. I think it may still be in print. Um, and It is, actually. There's a, there's a kind of a newer edition put up. And it's, it, it's about how to take that blessing you've received and extend it to your children in powerful ways. And, and so I'm, I want to do an interesting thing. And sometimes it, as I'm studying passages in Scripture, I, I find other kind of affirmations. And in this remembering this other book and in the radio program I listen to and so on, I realized that there is some parallels between how God blesses us and how we then can bless others, our children, family, friends, whatever it is. And I kind of want to draw some of those parallels for you today. In the passage I want to read to you today in Ephesians 1, there's one it doesn't mention, but Jesus certainly exemplified this. And so whenever you find a blessing in the Old Testament, you find there is meaningful touch involved. Even uh, when Jacob stole the blessing, uh, his father touched him. Meaningful touch is a powerful thing. Uh, so, for example, in the Trenton Smalley book, they talk about the fact that men, statistically men, when children begin to attend school, begin to decreasingly touch their children. And I, I know this from experience, and I've seen talked to fathers about this. And when your daughter becomes a young woman, a teenager, you're, you don't even know what to do with her. Um, uh, she doesn't know what to do with herself half the time. And, uh, and, and if dads withdraw physical touch, which is an important thing, we live in such a crazy culture that, that lots of people will touch. That's not the point. The point is meaningful, healthy, appropriate touch. The dads, you got to stay in there, keep hugging those girls. Moms, you got to keep hugging that, you know, 17 year old, six foot four, 260 pound football player, son of yours, even though he says, Mom, I hate that. He doesn't, and he needs it. And so we find that what a powerful part of the blessing that it is. Now, you're saying, well, we all know physical touch is important, but I want to show you in Jesus. That in Jesus' life, this is true. Remember, there's a point where children want to come to Jesus, and, and all of his disciples are, he's a rabbi, he's busy, kids, get out of here, go, go, go play. Now, and he says, and in the King James, this is how I memorized it originally, suffer not the children to come unto me. In other words, let the kids come to me. And, and then, so he said, let the kids come to me. And then he does some powerful things. But first, let me give you some context, all right? Because what he's going to do is he's going to bless them. Um, in that day, there are actual rabbis, writings of rabbis from his exact period uh, when Jesus uh, was here, was teaching, in which the rabbis said that sons were a blessing, but not daughters so much. Now, you think about things, so that's weird. It's not weird at all. Look at the, If you read the demographics in China, when the Chinese were forced to only have one child, there were terrible things that happened because they wanted a male child. 
That's happened through cultures. So that was actually prevalent in some of the rabbis' teaching of Jesus' day. Not only that, but it's not just sons. It's the oldest son. It would be the oldest son. In the case of Jacob and Esau, we find this too, that the oldest son would get more blessing uh, other than the other. And I happen to think as an oldest son, that's probably appropriate. Um, but, but, here, but here is what happened with Jesus. He said, let the children come to me. He didn't say, let the boys come to me. He didn't just say, let the oldest sons come to me. He said, let all the kids. Come on, kids. And then what did he do? If you will read the passage in John, he touched them and he blessed them. Now, you were thinking, that's nice. He blessed them. But what does that mean that he blessed them? What did he actually do? And so I think if you, if you research the idea of blessing, one person blessing another in Scripture, he probably put his hands on them, maybe on their head, or he may have hugged them, but he touched them in some way, and then he either said a prayer or he spoke words of affirmation to them of how important they were. Now I want you to just think for a moment. Growing up, did you receive that? See, I received that from my parents all the time, but I, in the church that I grew up in, the church community I grew up in, I received it from other people. The church that I grew up in, they had a habit, and I hadn't even thought about this for years, they had a habit of having a prayer time, and oftentimes an adult would come over and lay a hand on my shoulder and begin to pray, but not just, this kid's a mess, he's a snot-nosed punk, which was all true, they would have been absolutely justified, but things like, God, I know you have a plan for Doyle's life, I know that you have given him gifts, and he doesn't know what they are yet, but you do, Lord, I just pray that you would help them come to fruition in his life, and look, I don't even know what fruition was, but... But I remember those words of affirmation, that blessing. What a powerful thing. This word blessing is an interesting word because Jesus was blessing those children. <coughs> God blesses us so that we can bless others. Jesus said that um, as the Father has loved me, I love you. Isn't that interesting? I was thinking about this word blessing because in the original Hebrew, it also has to do something with bowing down or honoring or something. And, and I, I was thinking about how that connects. And <clears throat> I may have told you, but when I, 20 years ago, so when I first traveled to India, I ended up in North India, up in the lower foothills of the Himalayas, <clears throat> among some tribal people up there. And and I, I remember being there the first day, and some uh, young people came in. I'm not talking little kids, but it's also happened with little kids too. But the first it happened was a, an 18, 19-year-old children of the people I was staying with. And they walked in, and, and we met. And, and, they, and, and the next time I saw them, they walked right to me and came in the door to the house. And they walked right to me, and they did this. And I'm going... And the American with me, who, now, who lives there, said... And then they went to the next person. Went down the line, then to mom and dad. What's up? And I, but I didn't ask anybody. I'm thinking, okay. And it happened every day. Happened every time they came to the house. And it was a way of respecting us. And I, and I was thinking about this later. Isn't that what we do with God? Isn't that what we do with God? Is we come and we bow. When we're in worship, you bow down to somebody. And we don't do it in America bowing so much. It's more kind of an Asian thing or Indian thing. Or whatever. But the reality is that we understand what it means. When somebody bows, it means that you're important. Right? We get that. We come before God and we bow. And God goes, blessings. 
Have you ever had God speak to your heart during a worship service? We come together at a worship service and we bow before God and we sing these truths about God and reminded who God is and we acknowledge who God is. And have you ever had God just go, boom. That thing you've been worried about, boom. I got you covered. That situation you've been struggling with, I got you covered. That perspective that's so messed up, boom. That God touches us when we bow before him. Bowing is the way you get a blessing. <laughs> that's the way God can give you the deepest blessings. Bow before him, worship God, acknowledge the truth that God is God and you are not, that he's in control and you're not. And when you do, God has the ability to touch you and then you have the ability and the opportunity then to go bless someone else. So in this passage, in in um, Ephesians 1. If you have a Bible, you might want to turn to it. If you want to pull it up on a phone app. It's, it's, an, it's kind of a long passage. Um, and I probably won't get through all of it. But this may be one of the better sermons you'll ever hear. Just want to see if you're awake. Just check it if I lost you yet. So it begins in Ephesians 1, starting in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So first thing we realize that ultimate blessings are spiritual blessings. Spiritual blessings are the highest form of blessings. Cars are great, but they wear out. Boats are nice, but you have to keep them up. Um, relationships are wonderful, but you're going to die. I mean, not soon, you know, someday, right? But spiritual blessings last forever. So spiritual, if you're kind of going to rate blessings, spiritual blessings are the ones. Paul is saying spiritual blessings are the ones you need to focus on. The other stuff is fine. Uh, and it goes on, it goes on, he says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. I think Paul was so excited. He just didn't even put like periods in. He just took a deep breath and wrote. And it's just all coming out of him. He's so excited. It goes on. Um, let's see, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding and he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will reach their fulfillment and to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, may be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Did you get all that? You got all of it? There is, I am telling you, I could do a year on that paragraph. There is so much theology, but I want to kind of highlight through there how this applies to blessing because he begins by, talk, begins by talking about he has blessed us with spiritual blessing, and then he begins to enumerate those blessings. There's such detail, I can't get to all of it, but I'm going to try to just share a few thoughts with you um, in this. In verses <laughs> 4 through 6 I read, it tells us three things, it tell, uh, many things, but three things I'll highlight. One is he chose us. It is wonderful to be chosen. What a blessing, blessing to know that you have been chosen. I, I don't know if you were non-athletic in school or something, you ever had to get picked on a pickup game of, you know, whatever it is, and you're the last one and say, okay, fine, you're on my team. Hey, gee, thanks, can't wait to tell mom, right? Right? Getting picked last is awful. 
and getting picked first is pretty good. God picked you. God chose you. What a powerful thing. God chose you. Uh, I used to, uh, years ago in the church I worked at, I, I, uh, there was a family that we sponsored. We bought a house. The church bought a house. It was a Victorian house, actual Victorian house. They needed a remodel. We remodeled it, and we put a family in there who wanted to foster care for kids. And so we were sponsoring them, helping them with housing so they could foster and take care of all these foster kids. But the problem is the ministry died because all the foster kids end up being adopted kids by the family that lived in the house. It was supposed to be the foster care house. And the lady that ran it, Mrs. Rylander, one of my favorite ladies in all the world. I mean, they had black kids, they had Asian kids, they had they had tall kids, short kids. They had a, a little boy, David, is my favorite, is Down syndrome. Uh, just they had all kinds of kids living there, and any stray they could pick up anywhere along the way, adults as well. And the mom who ran the place, a little lady, not very big at all, not loud in any way, not in, not imposing, and she ran that thing, and she ran it like clockwork. And do you know how she ran it? With love. And she would say things to those kids like, you know, you're my son now, right? You know why? Because I chose you. Because I love you. She'd have to yell at them. She'd have to scream at them. She loved them. And they knew what it meant to be not loved. They knew what it meant to be abused. Some of the stories of the kids would break your heart. And the way they turned out was amazing because one woman chose them. One family chose them. You have been chosen. Your parents may not have chosen you. You, The kickball team may not have chosen you. The pickup basketball game may not have chosen you. The job you wanted may not have chosen you, but God has chosen you. You see, what happens when we begin to understand this blessing, Paul is trying to help us understand the blessing. A powerful part of a blessing is not just meaningful touch. It's also affirming, encouraging words. How much more encouraging than Mom Rylander saying to little Joffy, whose dad used to put cigarettes out on his back, you are now my son because I chose you. Those are powerful words. Those are words that will stamp themselves on your heart and little Joffy will carry that with him the rest of his life. If nobody else ever chooses him, Mom chose him and God chose us. What a powerful thing. Paul is sharing these encouraging affirmations with us about how God feels about us. We are chosen. We are in that same passage in love. He predestined predestined us for adoption. It's the exact story I just told you. God has adopted us through Jesus Christ. A part of of conveying a a blessing to our children, to those around us, not just speaking affirmation, but it's also sharing how valuable you are. It's assigning a high value to someone. You, you ever do that when you're a little kid, right, right? I love you this much. I love you this much. I love you all the way to the ceiling. I love you to the moon and back. Well, Jesus loved us this much on the cross. Do you think? He did not just corporately, individually. He loved us that much. Paul is telling us that we are of high value to God. Stamp that on your heart. Let that become your identity. That is the greatest blessing. As a matter of fact, in accordance with his pleasure and his will, he didn't just pick you because you're the last person on the field. He enjoys loving you. It's fun for God to love you. I don't understand how with some of you. I get it, but 
And then it goes on and in verse, in verse 7, it talks about some things. It talks about redemption. In him we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sins. Redemption is what it takes to emancipate a slave. It's a price paid. In our country, it was paid through a war, and there was a lot of bloodshed. In our case, spiritually, it was also through bloodshed. That's why Christ died on the cross, to emancipate us from the slavery of our own desires. And the forgiveness of sin. Now, there's an interesting thing here. This forgiveness of sin, the normal kind of sin thing we talk about in Scripture is hamartia, which is the original Greek word, which means a lifestyle of sin, following our urges, always doing it. This word actually means individual sins. So a part of blessing is not just meaningful touch and affirmative words um, and, uh, and assigning high value, but it also is an, about an active, ongoing commitment. This word forgiveness reminds us that even though we still mess up, God is still there to forgive us. And so the, his commitment isn't just to forgive us for all that back there, to let us figure out the rest of our own. His commitment is, by his Holy Spirit, to walk with us, actively forgiving us and growing us and directing us. It's not enough to, to say, kid, I love you, and then not get back to him. It's, it's not enough to say, I love you, and not go shopping with them or play catch with them or something. There needs to be an active commitment to the formation of that child. That's how God is with us. He's actively committing to forgive us in order to guide us. You ever go to God and go, okay, God, it's me again, third day in a row. I have screwed it up again in almost the exact same way. And God goes, yeah, I'm so sick of hearing that. Knock it up. Just three strikes, you're out, you're done. I've never had God do that. It's not in his word. I've never experienced that. What do I experience? God says, I forgive you. Let's do better. God says, I forgive you. I love you. How, that's called grace. I don't deserve it. That's called grace. And how much grace? When am I going to exhaust God's grace? That's what it says in this passage, in, in that verse I just talked to you about a moment. In accordance, he has grace given you. In accordance, this forgiveness, this redemption, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. God's grace, as long as we are repentant, as long as we're trying to go, God's grace is always available to us. God, you need some grace? Here's some grace. And, 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 and it's kind of like my mom and mashed potatoes. You want some mashed potatoes? You want some mashed potatoes? You want some mashed potatoes? You want more? You want more? Enough already. Mom thinks that if you have lots of mashed potatoes, everybody's happy. So she just lavishes mashed potatoes on you because that means happiness. God loves you so much that when you mess up, he just lavishes his grace on you. One of my favorite descriptions of this passage and one of the greatest blessings we have is that he says we have not just been given grace, it's been lavish, it's been slathered on us, lavishly slathered with grace. We have been, he said, in essence, begraced. I thought it was like bedazzled. Right? What comes to your mind? You think of a little seventh grade, eighth grade girl and her tennis shoes or her phone cover, just stuff, just, you know, gems all over it, right? Bedazzled, right? What would it be like for us to realize that God's grace has bedazzled, it has begraced us? That wherever you go, God's unmerited favor, God's grace is just slathered on you. You'd be a little less hard on yourself, wouldn't you? A little less perfectionist, a little less, less performance-oriented, because you're already bedazzled, you're already begraced. And by the way, how would that affect your employees or even your children? Would you be more gracious with them? If you realize you're bedazzled with grace. 
Because not only does grace require affirming words and high value and meaningful touch and, and like a, an active commitment to that, to that betterment of that person, um, it, it goes on. He says that he gives us wisdom and understanding, which is a part of that active commitment God gives us in verses 8 and 10. And then 11 through 14 um, talks about a special future. Part of what happens when we bless people is we help them understand that there's a special future. As you bless your children, you say, someday you're going to do great stuff. Someday it's good stuff. I see this gift and I see this ability. I just think you're just going to do great. And we begin to speak into them the future that, that God may have for them. Not trying to control or dictate or the future you have for them, the future God has for them. In these verses, 11 through 14, it reminds us that we're chosen. And then it, it tells us that the work of the Holy Spirit is a deposit or a beginning of that work in us, that what God has promised to do in us here and in forever, that he will do it. And again, he uses this word and he says this, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. You were marked in him with a seal. The picture in this is that um, in an ancient world, when a king or, or a dignitary wanted to send a document, they would drip wax, do the ring, right? We've seen it in the movies, right? Or if, if a cargo was being shipped, the, the, the ruler wanted to ship it somewhere, wax, the signet thing, you know, the seal. And, and, and that would signify several things. One, it would signify ownership, who the document or the cargo belonged to. It would also be protection for that thing. And sometimes it would say that the person traveling with this thing works for me the king. The same is true for us. As we go through this life, if we have been sealed, it has been stamped on our heart. Not that I'm a victim of abuse, not that I am a, a, a ne'er-do-well uh, or that I'm lazy or whatever somebody else try to stamp on our heart. But if we go through life with it stamped on our heart <coughs> that I am a child of the king, that I belong to him, that I work for him, that I am protected by him, we travel through life in a different way. We travel through life knowing that we are truly blessed. And the reason we're blessed is because God loves us. And the product of being blessed is to bless others. And then we begin to raise our children differently. It's not about our needs. It's not about how we look. It's not about how they reflect on us. We begin to interact with others differently. We are different because we are hashtag blessed. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for blessing us. I know it is not due to our own merit. We have not earned it. We cannot deserve it. We cannot pay it back. But Lord, I pray that you would imprint deeply on every one of our hearts. You would imprint deeply that we belong to you. That you died for us. You paid the price to set us free. And that because of that, you are working in us to grow us in knowledge and wisdom and discernment so that we can travel this life's pathway, we can navigate through as a child of God, not one who is settling for lesser blessings. Let us aspire to and acknowledge and appreciate the deeper blessings, the spiritual blessings, and let that be the beginning to every other thing in our life because we truly have been blessed and we are truly grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.